0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, and welcome to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm your host, Daniel Shea, and this is another episode of the focus All We Mean, an ongoing discussion and debate about how we mean and why. The premise of the podcast is that meaning production and the products of meaning making are pretty much everything there is for us humans. As a species, we do not encounter a thought or a thing, not even ourselves, without us going and making meaning with it and adding meaning to it as well. Meaning is how we act as much as it is why we do. And so the subject matter of this focus reaches into absolutely every quarter of human life, our daily routines, our career paths, our bids to acquire new knowledge, our attempts at connecting with or at disconnecting from one another. The format of all we mean is simple. I open every discussion with stating plainly the topic, and then my guests take up this topic to discuss and debate it in the hope that we all might learn something more about meaning. The topic of today's episode is, Can AI Mean? And for that, I'm going to read an excerpt from the New Yorker magazine. The piece is by Cal Newport, contributing writer and associate professor of computer science at Georgetown University. It's called What Kind of Mind Does Chat GPT Have? But first to my guests, I'd like to welcome back Bill Cope and Mary Kalanzi, both professors at the University of Illinois. Hi to both of you. Welcome back.
1: Uh, thank you, uh, Daniel. It's lovely to be back and uh, with all the hopes of a new year that we have.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yes, it's very much you. so. We're recording <laughs> here at the beginning of 2024. Exactly. So happy new year to everyone. Well, To our um, topic, which again is, can AI mean? And to get that started, I'm going to read this piece by Cal Newport from the New Yorker from April in 2023, last year. What kind of mind does ChatGPT have? In November of 2022, soon after OpenAI released ChatGPT, a software developer named Thomas Ptakik asked it to provide instructions, for removing a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR written in the style of the King James Bible. ChatGPT rose to the occasion, generating six pitch perfect paragraphs. And he cried out to the Lord saying, Oh Lord, how can I remove this sandwich from my VCR for it is stuck fast and will not budge. Ptakik posted a screenshot of the exchange on Twitter. I simply cannot be cynical about a technology that can accomplish this. He concluded when interacting with these systems, it doesn't take long to stumble into conversations that give you goosebumps. Maybe you're caught off guard by a moment of uncanny humanity or left awestruck by the sophistication of a response. Now that we understand how these feats are actually performed, however, we can temper these perceptions. A system like ChatGPT doesn't create it imitates. When you send it a request to write a biblical verse about removing a sandwich from VCR, it doesn't form an original idea about this conundrum. It instead copies, manipulates, and pastes together texts that already exist, originally written by human intelligences, to produce something that sounds like how a real person would talk about these topics. This is why if you read the biblical VCR case study carefully, You'll soon realize that the advice given, though impressive in style, doesn't actually solve the original problem very well. ChatGPT suggests sticking a knife between the sandwich and the VCR to pry them apart. Even a toddler can deduce that this technique won't work well for something jammed inside a confined slot. The obvious solution would be to pull the sandwich out. But ChatGPT has no actual conception of what it's talking about, no internal model of a stuck sandwich on which it can experiment with different strategies for removal. The AI is simply remixing and recombining existing writing that's relevant to the prompt. The idea that programs like ChatGPT might represent recognizable form of intelligence is further undermined by the details of their architecture. Consciousness depends on a brain's ability to maintain a constantly updated conception of itself as a distinct entity interacting with a model of the external world. The layers of neural networks that make up systems like ChatGPT, however, are static. Once they're trained, they never change. ChatGPT maintains no persistent state, no model of its surroundings that it modifies with new information, no memory of past conversation. It just cranks out words at one at a time in response to whatever input it's provided, applying the exact same rules for each mechanistic act of grammatical production. Regardless of whether the word is part of a description of VCR repair or a joke in a sitcom script, it doesn't even make sense for us to talk about ChatGPT as a singular entity. There are actually many copies of the program running at any one time, and each one of these copies is itself divided over multiple distinct processors, as the total program is too large to fit in the memory of any single device, which are likely to be switching back and forth rapidly between serving many unrelated user interactions. Combined, these observations provide Good news for those who fear that ChatGPT is just a small number of technological improvements away from becoming HAL from 2001: Space Odyssey. It's possible that super-intelligent AI is a looming threat, or that we might one day soon accidentally trap a self-aware entity inside of a computer, but if such a system does emerge, it won't be in the form of a large language model. So, end quote. So... What about that last point there, that if we're going to have hell, then it's not going to be in our current technology?
1: (laughs) Oh, I have to laugh a little bit, uh, Daniel, because if you think that the King James Bible is a sacred text, you might even think that his request was sacrilegious. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, Using uh, the genre of the written text, in the Bible uh, in order to do something as mundane uh, as, as the prompt asks. So the meaning is, uh, as quite rightly he points out, not in the, the bag of words that are used or the genre, but the purpose of uh, the text itself.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, one thing these GPTs are very, very good at, and, and he's sort of found that out, is genre. Uh, another kind of amusing example is Nick Cave, the musician, was very, very pissed off when somebody created a remarkably Nick Cave-like lyric, asking exactly the same question. Create a song about I don't know whatever it was now in the in the genre of Nick Cave, um, which means that in fact what what the machine's doing is appropriating. Um, Nick Cave's intellectual property because it has the source texts in order to copy them. Now it's not so much of a problem with the King James Bible because the IP is long since, um, long since out of date. Um, so yes, that, that's one thing that they are really, really good at. And in a way, um, you know, it's simply a technology about the probability of one word following another. And the King James Bible has very, predict- very predictable and distinctive ways for words to follow each other and and very predictive and distinctive vocabulary it uses for that. Um, the problem is um, it can't deal with empirical things in the world except mediated by text. And a lot of text in the world is, um, is, is perhaps problematic. Don't forget the, the, the King James Bible promises life after death and promises that virgin births are possible. So there's an empirical question um, uh, there, but also, Um, it's not good at sourcing things. Yes, it went to the King James Bible and found that text and did that. Um, But the other knowledge, if it had other knowledge that it used about peanut butter sandwiches, it's not going to disclose those. And it doesn't even...
1: Solve uh, the problem. It didn't even solve the problem of removing...
2: Right, and that uh, leads to this problem of of called um, artificial general intelligence, um, which is the kind of concept for... General intelligence is what would pass an IQ test. So an IQ test, the measure of uh, the, the number that comes out on an IQ test is called G um, in statistical terms. Well, that's general intelligence. So artificial ge- general intelligence means it, you can reason the way humans reason to pass an IQ test. Um, uh, it can't do that. And it probably can never do that. It can simply rely on textual sources which have implicit in the order of their words forms of reasoning.
1: Right. And you're, you've seen in our writing, Daniel, that we use a word called cyber-social. Uh, we, you know, we want to put forward the idea that you can't interpret any uh, creation of meaning-making without, particularly now within the digital context, without that relationship between the human and and the and the and the and the, and the digital. And in this case, um, this uh, what, what was this man's name? I've forgotten. Uh, yes right he he was just kind of playing a game really uh and coming up with what some theorists call bullshit. really
2: oh no but but also it's a clever (laughs) game but it does demonstrate something very interesting about gpts and it's amusing and it's clever and it's funny um somebody said um another another funny prompt by the way is we were writing our um uh scope and concerns for our e-learning conference which we have every year and, and the joke was, the joke that the person creating the prompt wrote is write the scope and concerns for our e-learning conference in the style of, Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown's Learning from Las Vegas, (laughs) which is a classic text in the theory of architecture and an interesting book. That's another whole story. And what it produced was hilarious in the same way, which is just kind of this genre mixing business because it's got the source text and it mixes the the form of words. There was one thing, by the way, that the article was wrong about just before we pass on, we move on, um, and that is it does know what you've asked it before, so there are two sides to this technology, which are really quite, it, it's the fuse, the fusing of two, in some ways, quite different technologies. Um, one technology is the large language model, which is um, the predictability of the order of words uh, in a statistical measure. But the other side is a chatbot. Um, and what the chatbot does, which is very, very clever, is it remembers what you've previously asked for which is why with chat gpt you've got to create an account because they're building a running record of who you are from the questions you ask um, and interestingly that tracks back to carl rogers psychology where where what the analyst does is the analyst just asks questions and um, learns a lot about you and you start answering your questions just because you're teaching the analyst yes. about you, yeah. right? So, uh, and that's a bit, that's a different, you know, that's a, a that's a different part of the whole technology, which is very very interesting. So, um, in other words, um, one of the powerful things in the future is going to be um, remembering users in the same way by the way that's what search engines do
0: now it's what google right, google, really, google does all the time
2: um, but but it's remembering that in a conversational
0: context in the chatbot right
1: now,
0: yeah i mean I, I was wondering also about that um i i mean this is an excerpt i haven't read uh, now to obviously on air and hear the entire piece and i i wonder if if uh, I, I'm I'm impressed often by what Newport has to say in the New York. He's a regular contributor, right? and I wonder if he doesn't mean there more a memory, as in having experienced something, rather than just having recorded more text, which is what would be the what the chatbot is getting off of you. I yeah, believe yeah. right. But the only yeah. thing about
2: the chatbot, it's getting personalized text about you, um, in the same way that Amazon says people like you bought something like this, or you know Google search is based on building a history of your search so that that's what it is essentially so in other yeah, words it yeah. build these highly specialized differentiated, customized knowledges of individual users
1: that is very powerful but i i think i've i've read recently and i'm, I'm not quite sure that one of the fine-tuning changes that they've made is not to allow impersonation of others strictly okay. <laughs> is that is that correct uh um I think
0: I know, no, I'm that, not that, I'm not informed on that, but I mean I know it it, it can voices as well apparently yeah, but I think uh,
1: that, I think one of the, the issues... this is one of the things
0: they're very worried
2: about, yes. which is the the whole fakeness universe, right? So the fakeness universe can happen in a number of ways. One is faking your voice, right? So right. Um, uh, faking your image, yes. and you know I dare say, obviously faking the style of your style of writing as well. So. They're, they're all things which are problematic in the sense that it's a site of potential uh, fraudulent behaviour in one agree. sort or another. And
1: it's one of the issues that's come up in the debate about what needs to be regulated or, or not, this uh, you know impersonation, because it could... Lead to kind of really terrible things if you think your mother called you and asked you to come out but, somewhere. And but it's then not. again,
2: why why not make an, an a new movie starring
0: John Wayne? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. was, that, that would that would be nice. Yeah, of was, course. Yeah, ex-
1: except that the people who own him, uh, you know, his uh, descendants, uh, would like a share of the income. From, yeah,
0: true. It gets complicated. Uh,
2: bring bring us well, back. By the way, going to... back to the original thing. By the way. And what about the reincarnation re- of Jesus Christ? We can oh, do that please, in terms no. of the the. Uh, <laughs> there's him. no there's no copyright
0: issues there, as we discovered with the King James Bible. <laughs> we can write a new book.
1: Is oh, that okay? No. no. <laughs> well,
0: actually, I was going to actually I was actually going to try to bring us back to grammar, <laughs> but you you brought in the saviour. Um, I'm not so sure. Uh, but 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 I actually what I, what I take from the Newport piece that is uh, also very much in line with both of your uh, theorizing on, on meaning is this idea that y- you can't put the chat GPT into a, a body yet, or it doesn't even actually, and this is one of the main um, contributions that you make in your recent piece of Multimodal Grammar of Artificial Intelligence uh, being published now or already published now, is um, that it's, it's limited to its, its text form Whereas you know, our understanding of the world and our meaning-making capabilities come from you know, a plethora of different forms, which we fluidly move between. And, and this is just completely inaccessible to that technology. It's only right. accessible,
2: interestingly, via the mediation of text. Right. So, um, you know, like- For now. Um, uh, the, one of the interesting things is one of the very, very big projects in the multimodal area and a path-breaking model was Fei-Fei Li's ImageNet. Um, And what she did was she um, took a huge number of images, got people in the developing world via Mechanical Turk, by the way, the Amazon service, um, to label tens of thousands of images with a select number of words from WordNet. Now, the interesting thing is you can only do ImageNet through WordNet. Um, So WordNet goes on forever, which is a, a Princeton project which built a kind of a set of, it's like a gigantic um, Roger's um, the- thesaurus, if you like. So what she did, she cut that down to 22,000 terms and then labeled millions of items. But the interesting thing is that the only way in which image recognition works is via labeling with textual labels. Right, right. right. Um, so um, so the multimodality stuff is very, very powerful, but to, to create a fancy image on, um, uh, you know, one of the, the new image generation bits of software, you've got to put in a linguistic prompt Make me a picture of blah, 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 whatever it's right. going to be. So it's a linguistic prompt because everything in the database of image sources is labeled with text.
0: However, and, that, and that was the, uh, I'm sorry, Mary, just really quickly, yeah. but that was the thing that really caught my attention in your guys' recent article there about the multimodal uh, grammar was how 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 limited the technology is. And yet, as Mary, you were saying earlier, okay for a an analysis of the technology itself we can see its limitations but on the cyber social level that doesn't mean that it means less (laughs) right it can mean just as much through faking through how we use it what we want it for and so on
1: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, and 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 we go back to the fact that we're all educators and how do we... and. And we've been talking about multimodality as have others for decades now, and we've tried to come up with a grammar to try and uh, help people understand how you make meaning of it. And if today I was listening to my uh, Galloway, uh, you know, his podcast the other day, and he says that the the top kind of uh, meaning-making streaming thing is TikTok. Now TikTok has captured uh the the america let alone the world and it is deeply multimodal and deeply problematic so how do we interpret it how do we prepare young people when they go into this space to understand what that complexity of um uh, artifacts that are coming together to create meaning to persuade them how they use them themselves i mean this is not something that can be incidental anymore it has to be core To all disciplines, uh, all disciplines in the education field, how does multimodality operate and how do we understand its impact on us and shape and uh, influence uh, positively the way that uh, the next generation of young people can use it?
0: In the interest of understanding that better, I have a bit of a theoretical question to both of you on the end of the forms and meaning, because if you take TikTok, and as you say, it's it's multimodal in that sense, it clearly has sound, it has speech, right? It has image. But does a video playing then include space and body and object and so on? It doesn't really, does it?
2: Oh, yes, it does. It It does by way of recording it. So in other words, so much of what's on um TikTok is around gestural nuances of one sort or another. Right. So it just, has a beginning,
1: just a middle the middle and end. It has no no well, call, I'm talking about,
2: let's just talk about body. Okay. Um let us say um yeah, it has a, certainly it certainly has this generic thing which maps against text. Yes. But also what happens is that video recording is is brings um embodiment and, and gesture and object and all those other things into the world of representable meaning and makes it very, very accessible for us to represent that. So it's one thing for you to look at my body live and my gesturing and whatever, um, but it's another thing when I can easily record my body or someone else's and distribute it to the whole world as anybody. So that's why, you know, in a way, it's incredibly powerful. And what's very, very powerful are these little devices we've got in our po- pockets. Which yeah, is just no, they're amazing. Sure. Um, you know, we often sort of facetiously there. use the old uh, Marxist formulation, actually, which is about the the production and distribution of meaning. Um, you know, so as, as you know, we've got these tools <laughs> where we can produce meaning and distribute it. Right, but but so I
0: understand though, it, if you have a video of somebody doing something on TikTok or anywhere really, just a video, right, with all of the accoutrements of sound and so on, it's. As far as the, the, the space is concerned and, and the objects involved and the bodies and so on, I mean, it is mediated, though. I mean, does that, does that in any way f- affect the form? Doesn't it make it, what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is doesn't it make it more of an image and less of a body, even though it still is a oh. body?
2: Yes, um, it is mediated. And it's mediated um, around the transposition from a three-dimensional felt reality to a two-dimensional plane. And the way it does the two-dimensional plane is around framing, right? So the frame cuts out certain things, which are there aren't right. those constraints in, in in physical reality, but also around vanishing points and um, and depth of field as well. So in other words, stuff at the back of the image is smaller than stuff at the front of the image, and the, the image do, the machine does that automatically. Um, it took Western art um, a long, long time to discover um uh you know dimensionality and, and, and perspective in perspective yeah, yeah. In art. but the machine actually does that for you so in other words what there is is an interesting and big shift from a three-dimensional um embodied felt plane to a two-dimensional plane where the feelings are referred, right? So that is a big shift, an interesting one, but nevertheless it's still a powerful tool for representing that stuff. And again, our word transposition is then very, very important, which is then framing and depth of field and all those other visual techniques become an important part of the fabrication of, and, of those and, texts.
1: And they're not just about looking at them, they're actually communicating to the user, users in that space in the same way that any sending a message or uh, um, you know, a text message uh, communicates. They are, they are powerful communicating tools, not just the aesthetics of the visual uh, in, a, in, a, in a moving form.
0: And look, right. I, I I wonder though if it doesn't matter though that it it gives you how shall I put it I mean you get almost continually duped the more you spend looking down down at your screen and not up at where you are I mean I'm being quite polemical at the moment but I, I'm just trying to make a point and 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 imagining though that there's little difference. Where, you know, from a theoretical meaning-making point of view through your multimodal grammar, which, you know, uh, definitely stands the test, at least for me so far, it it, it, it makes it so that people are, are – are it's almost like false evidence, isn't it, if you right, see what I'm saying? Right,
2: right. But by the well, way, but that's been the case ever since um, – Books. Uh, and let me go back to, um, I'll go, we, we're yeah, on okay,
0: Ever since books, that's a good point. No, <laughs> there's actually,
2: there's before books, actually, even, yeah. you know, Homeric poems which told things through an oral, a set of oral mnemonics. Yeah. Um, but if, you, if we want to go back to our King James Bible thing, um, this um, particular set of narratives about a particular person 2,000 years ago or so, um, those things got retold and were, were projected across virtual space. Um, And then then when iconography became um, an acceptable thing to do, which it wasn't for a while um, and hasn't been for a lot of people ever since, to be quite frank as well, it's not acceptable to Muslims and it's not acceptable to Protestants. But when iconography became... But
0: the Greeks have no problem with
2: it. I mean... There there were always these um, uh, media which created the virtual so people say oh we're in this virtual world now where we're disconnected from reality well the truth is we've been in a virtual world disconnected from reality from a long long time However, and we and we're very dependent on those mediations to have um a, a a meaningful universe which is bigger than our personal selves yeah
1: but daniel's point i think and, and it's a fair point about this some new social reality is the kind of uh, attention dimension of this this is you know, accelerated attention to this to what comes through our devices, and people spend hours and hours doing it. They're they used to, to spend hours and hours out. reading books. Well, With, I think I think well, this is a point. Hour this hour is hour. a no, no, no. I think there's no comparison. If well, about, there's a
0: point that you make uh, amongst many of your works that just just as you're saying, Bill, I mean, none of this is essentially new, right? It, this is something that's made very clear in the the companion volume, companion volumes of making and adding sense that, you know, of all of this has been with us for, you know, as long as we can almost remember in human history, at least as long as there's been writing. Um, but it's. Now, and this is relevant again to that cyber social, it's it, it's now entering a new phase. You know, it's it, right. the same things are being right. reworked right. now differently, faster, perhaps, is yes. one of right. the... Right.
2: Of yes. the let, let me make a point about the difference thing. Um, I, I do think the generative thing is big, to be quite frank. I, I think it's uh, a profound shift. So we have just said, look, there are all these continuities. Uh, and what's profound about it, look, you look, you, you, you started, kicked off the, the religious metaphor stuff uh, or um, analogy, right, with, with, with the quote that you started with. Um, I want to st- um, mention, and I'm sorry, the man's name escapes me now, the man who has worked for for Google who was fired before.
1: Oh, Sam. Uh,
2: no, uh, no, no, no. He no. was fired because he thought that the AI they were producing sen- uh, yes, was, was, was sentient, sentient. Yes. Right. Um, now, he was a Gnostic Christian right? And Gnostic Christians believe there is something holy and inspired about the word. In other words, if the word's being transmitted um, in some way or another, there's something imminent in the word where God speaks in the word. Now, ironically, um, in a a Gnostic definition, uh, God speaks now through generative AI in the sense that generative AI is a tool where it it designs coherent text. Now, until this moment, only humans could, could could design coherent text, right? Um, but the fact the machine can do it. So um, Gunter Kress um, and us um, worked on this idea of design. And the idea of design is that the reformulation of meaning um, in every moment of reformulation is unique. Right. So the last 300 words I've said have never been said by any other human being in that particular order in the whole of history. And in a sense, my human agency has produced something coherent of a series of background resources, which is absolutely designed in the sense that it's it's completely unique. Now, for the first time in human history, we've got a machine that can do that. Now, that's actually pretty amazing, to be quite frank. It might be using human sources, um, but in fact, I'm only a human source. I've read a pile of damn stuff. I remember a pile of damn things. All I'm doing is regurgitating um, and the word that we use is available designs. I'm just, I've got these available designs, and I'm rebuilding them. Now, the interesting thing about generative AI is generative AI, for the first time in human history, is actually creating entirely coherent text and also entirely coherent images um, itself however, of available resources.
1: However, if we go back to the text that Daniel rang uh, read out, it didn't actually solve the problem, right, of the sandwich, right?
2: No, it didn't yeah. solve the problem. But by the way, there are a lot of boring people who can't solve problems in oh, the world, who are, who are designers of meaning and, and human beings who say...
1: But it's not just another person. I can't solve that problem, by the way.
0: <laughs> right. I, I, well, I, mean, I mean, if you've really I, got peanut butter inside you, if you still have a VCR <laughs> to start with, <laughs> and if you've really got peanut butter in there, everything is no, too late. I'm no, no
2: better, no, I'm no better no. at solving no, this
1: problem. But that mistake is a serious mistake. In, in the text that was produced, right? It is a serious error. But I can easily error. make a mistake
2: because I'm not an expert on either yes, peanut butter but or VCRs. No,
1: now you have made it sentient, you see. No,
2: no, <laughs> I'm, for, for a moment, I'm agreeing with the Gnostic. I'm sorry I've forgotten the man's name. I think You're his right.
0: name is Blake Lemoyne. Am I finding oh, that it. right? That's it. it, that's is, it. Okay, Blake um, Lemoyne. Um, this was back in March t- of 2023,
2: I oh, think. Oh, yeah, good on you for looking that up quickly. Yes, I'm with him, by the way.
0: <laughs> yes. right. Well, I think that I think this brings us back to one of the some of the key words that you both in your first uh, responses to the quotation gave and and really caught my attention was the idea that you know a bag of words both of you were talking about and lacking purpose or also genre or as I like to call it text type it doesn't matter I mean you can speak like the Bible right I mean you can do religious text that's that's the idea and it makes me think of some of the to bring us round to education and, and thinking about purpose, perhaps, which which also is termed interest as a function and 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 your modality, is uh, this idea that if you can t- if you can do the text right, then you're done, right? If you can do an a scientific article right, then you can leave all of the you know help or academic support behind because you're ready to become a full blown scientist, right? Now you just need to do the experiments and. I think it's worth saying a little bit as you were just saying now Bill that every single iteration is unique and every iteration is a re- is a realization of a new purpose in a new set of challenges problems a new context to take up a whole nother term and these things are missing from a an educational approach that says, you know, you get the shablon, you get the, chablone, you get the f- framework and you fill it in or from apparently chat GPT as well.
1: Right. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it keeps evolving. So what it has so far is what it has so far. So we don't know what will come into the future. Uh, into the corpus, and what we have to contribute to it in order to shift it. Also, increasingly, what you're seeing is the curation of the generative AI for specific purposes to make it more grounded in facts, uh, perhaps in a theory. You know what what Rizvi called epistemic virtues, right? We had he had, uh, you know transparency about agency you know a a critical understanding of what you put together so I do think things will change as we move forward and people understand the limitations of what we're working with now but it will be around the fine-tuning around the curating around specific purposes the business world is doing that already it's offering services to uh, people who want to use particular apps or particular services, and and he claims that, that they're free of hallucinations, free of of kind of errors. So I do think it's a a moving agenda. I, I don't think we have the last word on what's happening now. So far as you as the um, the, the writer that you off, we started off with said. They, he saw the limitations. We're claiming the limitations. And as Bill wants to insist, uh, some of the strengths will continue to be strengths. And even we in our own college and in our own program are trying to harness the way in which we can use this to improve the kind of work that our students produce.
2: So let me just on that front, I'll tell you what we're trying to do practically. So we can talk you know, theoretically about this stuff just because it's intrinsically interesting. Um, but, but, but what we're trying to do practically is, we've already built an app um, within our scholar environment, which gives um, the, um, gives feedback to students on their work, an AI reviewer, if you like. Um, and we've done a number of things in that, which involve um, several sides of the, 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 this um, GPT universe. On the, on the, the, the prompt engineering side, we only ask it things which it's good at, which is style. And, and and we don't ask it for facts, we don't ask it for references. So prompt engineering, that's the prompt engineering side. On the fine tuning side, fine tuning, by the way, to define it technically, Mary's mentioned fine tuning several times here. Fine tuning is supplementing the foundational LLM, which is every word that's ever written that they've managed to get their hands on, um, with um, with specialised text. And what the LLM will do, it'll prioritise what you've given as specialised text. So Um, In our students' case, we've given it everything Mary and I have have written in the last however many years, plus everything that our Our students students. have written in the last year. Our students are masters and doctoral students, which is about 10 million words, and it prioritises those. So they're ways to actually um, optimise the usefulness of of these, um, these darn things along the way. So at the moment, we're using that to give reviews, which is to give feedback to students. But in the next phase, what we plan to do is um, get students to um, uh, get students to get it to help them revise the text as well so yeah
1: but I say we also have human moderation right
2: Right. that's one critical thing so in other words we never do this without being completely transparent to the students about what the prompts are um, and also um, asking them on the same prompts through human evaluations right so there's always a moderation process where the machine has a certain kind of way of speaking, a certain way of thinking, um, which is very robot-like, but still nevertheless helpful. Uh, but humans are different. So we we, we we always do it both ways.
1: With peer feedback and instru- instructor feedback, because we do believe it does need that human intervention to ensure the strength and weaknesses of whatever the advice is of the uh, text that's provided.
0: So, so are you describing a an app in a sense that is going to pick up de- Text type questions, uh, yep. generic, yes. yep. generic That's questions. That's yeah. what and
1: we have to start inventing things like that. But yeah. we can control them and we can shape them and use the affordances of this uh, kind of. And let me let element. me tell
2: you, it actually ama- uh, Look, surprisingly, it works incredibly well, and uh, surprisingly, our students like it. So we've put it through. I'm going to guess a thousand cycles in the last year, which is a thousand students have done major pieces of work in this environment. Um, it's by the way, it's described in an archive article. We've, we've, and we've got more stuff on the way, but we've got a description and a write-up of the first trials in um, the Cornell university repository called archive ARXIV. Uh, so we've, um, you know, we're, we're working in a very practical kind of way as well um, to see how we can put this stuff to work. Um, uh, and whether it works and what the students think of it.
1: I suppose
0: no, it takes.
1: Daniel, I suppose I it gonna takes. We, we, I'm going to say we have no choice because our students are going to this to produce uh, works for us and for everybody else in education. So uh, we can't just stand aside and and, and wring our hands.
0: <laughs> no, and that, that that's exactly what I was actually uh, um, going to be saying right now. Is I suppose it also takes a bit of a um yeah couching this in a certain how is it to be used to our advantage and not just hey what's this cool thing or it's gonna write my papers for me Um, right right but but i wonder what that tells us though about like these generic conventions so the scholarly article and the way it looks right i mean if it if, if if we can just be providing content and thinking and the GPT can clean it up for us, so to speak. Yeah, write it yep. up, as it's been everything very often said. Changing. Guess what? The GPT's got the job already.
1: Yes, everything is changing dramatically. Everything for journals, for publishers, for yep. education, yep. Uh, for anywhere where uh, meaning is communicated and received. It's changing the field.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is this is a very significant change. So you know the purpose of that article we wrote recently was to try and work out what are the what are the limits as well you know what's the you know but 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 within those limits it's a very very big change um you know dare i say it's much bigger than the internet turning up it's might might be as big as that person down the road from you gutenberg it
0: might up in minds yeah yeah i wonder though i mean if because I, I once heard, uh, or read rather, in, in in the Nature magazine part, uh, some point during this year, you know, this was the year that was after GPT, right? I mean, 2023 was the year where everybody ingested this. And one, um, I mean, scientists now are thinking a lot about and using a lot of GPT, some of them in a haphazard way. N- nobody, I, I don't think, is quite as organized as what you've just described, but in any case, and this scientist said, I don't know the name anymore, but that, you know, if you can make, if you can produce an article with GPT, then what's the value in reading it? In a sense, trying to say that, you know, if if we're not writing our findings, then why so are we writing them on all? You're going to have to put
2: facts in there. You're going to have to yes. put You can't, uh, can't give up uh, reading. It's, it's, <laughs> just, it's just a genre machine, by the way. Um but by the way, I tell and you what... multi um, multimodal reading, really. It's multimodal
1: reading, not just book reading. <laughs>
2: you triggered a, a thought, which is yeah. off on a little bit of a tangent, That I, a, a very interesting piece I read yesterday, actually, saying the future of software code, coding is not going to be writing code. It's going to be reading code because what you'll be doing is you're getting the machine to create the code. Machines are going to be much more efficient coders than human beings. And by the way, software is a, a low hanging fruit for this because it's, um, it's so dependent on the ordering of, um, of, the textual ordering of the code, you know, you know what I mean? So uh, by the way, our definition of text is that which, which can be represented in Unicode. So code, software codes written in Unicode. Um, so, um, as is all, and now all, all digital text. So um, you know because the, the the software code is so rigorously formalized in terms of word, uh, its ordering of the. The, the, the Unicode characters, um, it's low hanging fruit. So you're going to be getting machines to do the coding, but then you're going to need to know what they've written, and you're going to need to be able to read it. Forget yeah. about writing it. You're going to have to need you're going to need to know how to read yeah. it. Um, and by the way, one of the scandals. Let me just mention this. One of the great scandals, which also means this is very low hanging fruit, is Microsoft now owns GitHub. So all the nice people of the world who've contributed their code to GitHub. Um, because they believe in open source and democratic sharing and whatever, it's all been just appropriated by Microsoft in order to put them all out of work.
1: And all these scientists and every every other scholar is receiving knowledge in a multimodal way increasingly. It's not just, you know, the, the kind of um, golden um, uh, book, you know, the, the golden measure of knowledge in, in a book. It's coming to us fast. Uh, from videos, from uh, podcasts, from all sorts of uh, uh, sources. And people are gaining and exchanging knowledge and information in multimodal ways. And for us, uh, that's what we've been um, talking about now for decades that we need to be prepared for the value of that, its strengths and weaknesses, and how we prepare to contribute uh, to that body of knowledge that is multimodal.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm still reeling a bit from this idea that we won't need to worry about really writing anymore. I mean, the code is already gone its way. Uh, the text is probably soon behind it. Um, we need, we need to obviously provide, as you say, all the facts and the evidence and and the purpose behind why even the experiment was done and so on. But it still, like, for example, I mean. Um, Halidian uh, um, um, linguistics, uh, you know, systemic functionalism uh, says that essentially it's at the clause that the grammar ends. So in my mind, it's always being that it's at the text level. It's between the sentences that the writer exists. You know, I mean, I'd be happy to give the clause to GPT, but the entire text.
1: (laughs) Daniel for most of human history humans have operated on the on the planet without writing for most of human history now what the future we ho- will hold we don't know but we have made our generation has made the text alphabetical literacy and its products books etc you know sacred in a sense you know we think this and then we created universities and schools and all these other things around that Uh, you know the book and the text well you know that is being kind of pulled apart at the moment and the future I'm afraid is not going to be based on that although our immediate future is and of course we've got to continue teaching reading and writing in the traditional way but we have to expand our repertoires and that's the kind of orientation we've had to the research that we're doing and to the ideas that we are putting out there in the world.
0: Okay, (laughs) I mean, well, uh, I mean, put it this way, I have no problem with multimodality, but I have problem with allowing a machine to do shoddy thinking for us. No, no, we can't allow that. And and I guess, I guess that's more what's bothering me. It's, it's not the fact that I have no problem with. I mean, I, I, I see my realm inside of text. That's just a a preference. It's not a, you know, it's not something I'd impose upon somebody else. But I, I, I'm just trying to say that if, if, if we can imagine generically a, a scientific article being really more or less sewn together for us i mean it's in that sewing together that the logic and the argument of the entire study exists
2: yeah i mean we have to go back to that uh, word that mary used which is cyber social this this is a relationship where these tools will help us write and help us think um in the same way that for a long time we've had spelling checkers and grammar checkers which has helped us write this just goes a bit further so in other words we still have to you know uh, there's no way a new scientific article that makes a breakthrough in science could possibly be thought through uh, by a GPT because it's it's only sources are legacy texts, right? So in right. other words, if there's some new breakthrough in some area of science, human beings have got to do it. But if we've got these tools in a cyber social relationship, they're going to help us
0: do it. It's
1: not as bleak as you think.
0: No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not even bleak. Actually, I, I'm just trying. I'm trying to understand it. Really, I, I'm, I'm literally thinking as we speak. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, there's,
1: well, there's so much. Well, we are writing, and you, and you found us through our writing. So we continue to write, of course, and we continue to read, uh, and we read new texts as well as legacy texts. So reading and writing isn't going to disappear, uh, like in an instance. Uh, but we have to grapple with this new create creature or creation,
0: or whatever. Yeah, no, but the, the same holds true everywhere. I mean, it just so yeah. happens, as you lucidly describe in in your article, and actually, as Cal Newport in the piece also describes, if you read the yes. entire piece, that you know it's text based, but yeah. you know. It can mimic other things, right? It's creating images. It's creating music, Bill, as you also said, and so on. And um, although maybe you were referring to lyrics, but it can also create music. So, I mean, this brings us back to our question, you know, whether or not AI can think, and I imagine as an, I mean, you provocatively, Bill said, you know, well, that's all, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taken in many texts and then I regurgitate them in my own way. Isn't that much the same? I mean. I, it I designs, still,
1: not thinks. it can design but right not,
0: right yeah, well, it, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have i i like your terminology it doesn't have interest right, yes, right. it lacks that doesn't it and it continues to lack a well, full con- context that, that's it? not the
2: whole discussion it's it, yeah. It, well, um, yeah probably doesn't it, have
0: I mean, interest except interest has been um
2: um framed by put into it by the people who do all the all the, filter, all the filtering yeah. so if my interest was to build a, um, a bomb or my interest is suicide, it's not going to help me. Yeah. So, And that's not because the texts don't deal with bombs and suicide, they do, it's because that's been edited out. So one of the things is there is actually an, an interest agenda there which is humanly um, uh, recast by the people who... Um, who who want to what what what's the phrase? Don't do evil. Well, we don't necessarily believe them when they say that, but nevertheless, um... yeah,
0: that's all well and good, but that's programming in a sense. I mean, I'm, I mean, the AI yeah. itself, which which doesn't even really exist, as Cal Newport very vividly describes it. I mean, it's 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 fragmented, it's dispersed, it's amongst very many different processors and so on. You know, it's not, it, it doesn't have an entity type structure in a way that we would imagine yeah. life. Right? I mean,
1: except one virtue, an ironic virtue, is it doesn't have any plagiarism. <laughs>
0: except, it's pure plagiarism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, but not every word. Is no, it the doesn't. Same. It doesn't
2: plagiarise. That's true.
1: <laughs> not every okay. word uh, order is the same. Yeah. You see, what a magical thing that is, eh?
0: <laughs> All right. All right. Well. <laughs> to, to to find to find our end to uh, this can AI think? Um, maybe we can uh, do our normal wrap up with each of us sort of giving our takeaway from from what's been said tonight. Um, Mary, would would you like to start well, us off?
1: Of course, it can't think. I mean, we've all agreed that it can't think, but it has been designed and programmed to design and to output and uh, around. uh uh, human parameters so the cyber social remember it doesn't exist on its own as a human exists on its own even though humans draw on other humans Uh, it only draws on what is in the corpus and designs what you ask it to design uh, 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 contained by whatever fine tuning has been put into it so in the end it's the cyber social relationship that is powerful in making meaning in this case and it's not Thinking in the way that humans think.
2: So yeah, um, I mean, this is a kind of complicated message. I think Um, this thing's big. It's it's an interestingly huge transition which has happened. um, By the way, it hasn't happened overnight. And the whole um, statistical language analysis is fifty years old and more. So it's not totally new. Um, It's an extension of that technology which has been facilitated recently by increases in processor speeds and some clever algorithms um, that have been implemented so that's what makes it kind of that old technology much more powerful um so um you know that's kind of new and it's interesting but also it's really important to try to identify what the limits are so in this cyber social relationship we optimally use it for our human purposes
1: right
0: yeah, I, I I'm going to keep my end short. I I think I think that's exactly though the takeaway that I bring that you you've got what the AI is and means on the one end, and some of that is an open question. But the the pretty clear set of guidelines that we'll want to follow, or the sense we'll want want to make of it ourselves, is what we do with it. So um, yeah. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, then, um, thanks to both my guests, uh, Bill Cope and Mary Callanzas. And this is Daniel Shea, once more, signing out. Until next time here on All We Mean.